I'm excited to introduce our guest today. It is none other than Eric Kaysen, the self-proclaimed crypto anarchist, cypherpunk, iconoclast, and I tried to pronounce Thank you. Dude, I practiced that word like seven times during the commercial breaks. I was like, make our Thank you. Eric, what did I miss? I know you're also a writer with the Crypto Sovereignty. We don't say the C word here, but you have written about Bitcoin and crypto since 2013. What am I missing? What did I not hit? So the, the and you guys got my, my sound all right? All right, cool. You yeah. sound amazing. Um, you look amazing. Okay, thank you. I feel like I crawled out of a dumpster, so that's nice. My power went out right before this, so I was like trying to figure out how to get that, and that's finally. But crypto sovereignty, the reason why I use this word is actually the word crypto itself has, like it's concealed its own meaning, and I actually have an essay called The Encrypted Meaning of Crypto, which is essentially about how blockchain bros with their fundamental misunderstanding of like why you need a decentralized network that's censorship resistant, and it's not because like that's fun and it gives us good feelings, it's because you actually inherently need to have asymmetric cryptography at the bottom of what you're doing, because if you don't, the state can pretty much come and steal whatever they want from you at any point in time that they declare a state of emergency. And actually, Arthur Hayes had a great article that he just released about this. I, I really liked it. And whatever your feelings about Arthur might be, he does such a great analysis of the 20th century and how the state of emergency is essentially used to overcome economic limitations that would happen with sound money, whereas now we live in a total fiat world that essentially, what I really got from his analysis was that like, the entirety of the economy and finance has been overcame in order to allow for the state of emergency to essentially seize all wealth and commit that towards what I like to call hyperstatism, which is this idea that like the the full cultural, social, and economic development that we're in right now is completely and totally defined by the state. Trying to find a way of life outside of the state, at best, you can maybe be on the periphery like Amish people, but like even that has very strong limitations. So anyways, the reason I went originally with crypto sovereignty, and it was funny because I debated about it for a while if I should use that word or if I should go towards Bitcoin. And this was before kind of some of the drama with it. And I felt that crypto sovereignty is really what I wanted to kind of stick my flag in because cryptography is what gives us sovereignty in the digital age. And then Bitcoin with the explicit structures that are set up around that then creates for a number of the other feelings I have around it, which at the bottom, I fundamentally believe it is a messianic tool that hasn't reached its fruition or recognition. yet. I want to take a step back for a second and I hope you'll permit me to blow a little bit of smoke up your ass. Sure. If you don't know who Eric is, and, and Eric, I'd also love to hear sort of, we talked about this at, at the Black Boom recently, but I'd love to hear in a second your journey to Bitcoin and sort of what your history in the space is, because I think that's a really, that's kind of a key part of, of who you are and who you've become and what you've accomplished. But what I will say for our listeners is Eric is one of my favorite writers in this space. I would highly encourage everyone to go and you know go to cryptosovereignty.org and read through some of his pieces. They're incredibly well well articulated and they you really have to put energy into like picking them apart and it takes like active reading to really sort of understand, but all the references are phenomenal 
and you will be rewarded for going through them and really forcing yourself to process each sentence. I cannot recommend them highly enough. The Your piece, The Messianic Bitcoin, is one of my personal favorites, but uh, truly an incredible writer. So thank you for putting all the effort that you put into, into writing these pieces and to getting them out there. I don't think you get nearly enough credit, my friend. Uh, thank you. I, I really appreciate the, those salutations. And uh, yeah, so my journey is pretty interesting. Before Bitcoin, I was... I, I was really invested in far left politics and sort of the apex of that came at the Occupy movement, which I was super enthused about. I was like, we're going to take on the state. We're going to take them out. We're going to usher in this beautiful revolution. It's going to be phenomenal. And like everybody recognized that money was the problem, that moneyed interests had overtaken pretty much all aspects of life. And as it developed, I slowly came to the realization where I was like, oh, Jesus, there's like no action plan it's just kind of a bunch of people complaining and like in the midst of that somebody had mentioned bitcoin to me but i was like well this doesn't even make sense the collapse of occupy i was kicked out of graduate school i was kicked out of my house i'd like move back in with my parents for a bit and then with my girlfriend's dad and he kicked us out too and luckily and i was in a crushing depression at this point in time i could barely wake up um and i remember at like my lowest point i ran into my high school English teacher and I was working in a moving company making like $12 an hour. And I was so embarrassed to myself that like I ran out and sat in my truck and cried. And that, you know, that, that was, it really affected me. And I was finally at the place of like total rock bottom. I was like, there's no way out of this. We're fucked. I'm just going to live as a slave and be broke my whole life. And for some reason in the midst of that, I was like, Oh yeah, this Bitcoin thing. What, what's this about? So I kind of started reading and digging and I was like, this is really interesting. And then when I realized that you could get around capital controls with it, I was like, wait a minute, there's something really important here. So as I kind of kept studying, it was like this anchor that sort of helped claw me out of a depression. And so I then got a temp job and then I got a job at a bank after that and I was doing a bit better. But the whole time, like I'm, I'm like drinking more and I'm like, like, this is it. And it was funny because after about six months at the bank, they were going to promote me to be like manager of the division. And I went in to talk to the CEO and we were going to talk about plans for the future of the bank. And I tried to pitch money and he just thought I was insane. And they're like, no, like we, the hell is it? They're like, we want to put like iPads in the branches. Like that's not what we're interested in. And meanwhile, cause I was, this was about summer of 2013. I'd been so interested in Vic. Gavin Newsom just took Eric away from us. We Yet lost again. him just as I was getting my robe on. Well, it's oh no, it's because you put your robe on. It could be. It very well could be. And if that is the case, I apologize and for nothing because this wasn't my fault. Uh, you're, oh, you're I'm sorry. Am I oh, back? You're, you're, you're back. back. Okay, you're I'm back. so sorry about that. This you is Gavin Newsom's fault. This is not your fault, man. That you know, I I appreciate that, but if I. I might have had my shit together for my backup generator. This would be a little bit. Where did I lose you guys at in my diet about my depressing life? So the bank manager wanted to put a bunch of iPads in the bank. Or the bank CEO wanted to put a bunch of iPads. Yeah. And I was pretty much like, this isn't a fit for me. And serendipitously, because I had interviewed at Coinbase for a position they hadn't given me before, Olaf reached out right around the same time. And he was like flipping out because they were like scaling. And it was like, hey, hey, man, uh, like good talk. And I was like, oh, hey, yeah. Like, how are you guys doing? They're like, we need bodies immediately. We're like desperate. He was like, do you want on? And I was like, yeah, like when did, let's have an interview. He was like, oh, no, like fuck that. Like you have the job. Like I'm sending you a computer right away. Like get, get started. And I was like, 
Okay, so dove right in and got started. And so that was like a pretty epic journey to being at Coinbase from 2013 to 2017. Met lots of phenomenally brilliant people. Um, and also like watch this sort of dumpster fire evolve. And it was sad because I, I really cared about my clients and customers because my goal was to connect as many people to Bitcoin as possible. I thought inside we did a phenomenal job. It was just dealing with management and other choices around that that made the job real difficult, which is why Coinbase has such a terrible reputation around support rate. But for me in this journey, meeting other people and getting to ask all of these questions, I got really hooked it was probably in 2014 when I, I felt pretty well read on it, where like this question came up where I was like, how is it possible that this, whatever, that this thing, this money, this object can keep an oath to itself that no institution, no man, no political course, no state seems to be able to maintain. And that oath to maintaining 21 million Bitcoin and that if your private key is secured in yours, you know, it's secured. And so this led me on this long philosophical journey of, of trying to explore, well, like what, what does it mean when somebody has an object that can't be taken from them? Like, what does it mean when essentially someone can present their own self-sovereignty through the non-action, essentially the refusal to say, I would rather not. And to me, it took me on this long discourse where essentially through both sovereignty theory and various political theories, I started to really dig deep into what I believe Bitcoin to be is actually essentially a technological turning that leads individuals into self-sovereignty through the way that allows for us to enter into a truly free relationship with both technology and language as they intermesh to become a singular item. So I'm curious because the fact that you are a part of the Occupy Wall Street movement, like the roots of that movement was very much, at least the way I interpret it as, very much prompted by the same things that prompted and inspired Satoshi to go down this rabbit hole and figure out a way to create and gift us Bitcoin. A, are you Satoshi Nakamoto? And B, do you feel like, do you great, feel like Bitcoin question. does, does in fact fit what the rhetoric around Occupy Wall Street was looking for. The, nobody's ever asked me if I'm Satoshi and I'm, I'm absolutely not. Like I can, I can. I don't uh, believe I'm that a for bozo. a second. I'm so a bozo. Honest. So I, I really appreciate that, that you could think so highly of me. A fun side note, as I met, I met Neil Stevenson, the author of Cryptonomicon at a conference uh, four or five years ago. And very sarcastically, I was like, hey, are, like, are you Satoshi Nakamoto? He got really offended. He was like, no. He was like, why would you ask me that? He was like, I can't, I don't have the ability to defend $20 billion. He was like, it's not, you shouldn't ask people that question. That's not, that's not nice. Wow. And I was like, oh, like, oh you okay. pissed off. That's amazing. Yeah. And then I, I like came away. I was like, maybe he is. And it was funny because later in the conversation, I asked him another question. I was like, what are you like really afraid of in the future? And this was like 2019. He was like, oh, like, you know, for thousands of years, we lived in a world where like truth had absolutely no bearing on the world. You know, like people could just live inside of the lies and, and the sort of decrees that were given to them. He was like, so I feel very fearful that we're going back to that. And to me, it was it was such a premonition of everything that would come in COVID and kind of in this second decade of the 21st century, or in the third decade. So I really appreciate that question of am I Satoshi Nakamoto? What was the second part, if you could rephrase that? Do you feel like what Bitcoin has become is, in fact, it feeds into the rhetoric for what 
the people that were involved with Occupy Wall Street were looking for. Yes, and this is sort of the hilarious crypto part again, is that like it serves the rhetoric perfectly and it actually sort of creates a turning that goes, hey, look, like it turns out like if you want to fix the money, uh, it's not a matter of implementing deep socialist or communist agendas, but it's actually about creating free market economics that work in such a fundamental way that the state no longer is in control of the monetary system. And that was one of the things that really developed for me sort of in my pathway of moving away from far leftism was really understanding that free market me mechanisms and economics, like those, those were essentially eviscerated at the beginning of the 20th century. And we got these different models of state-based capitalism, but state-based capitalism always has its roots in statism. And is, in my opinion, is inherently fascist because of the way that there is no way to actually have capital markets that operate and allocate correctly when you have such deep state involvement. And a fun word for the day is dirigitism. Dirigitism mm -hmm. is the action of state involvement in the economy. Uh, so I believe that we live in a deeply dirigitist world at this point in time where even being able to try to see what a free market economy looks like is pretty much impossible because of how deep the state is involved in pretty much all facets of life. So ultimately, I do think it served the rhetoric of Occupy Wall Street, but it does it in this really interesting way where as you pull the thread more and more, it actually has you sort of critiquing in my opinion, socialist ideals and moving much farther towards libertarian ideals. And also just to be clear, I'm not on the side of like capitalism or socialism. I think Bitcoin is something so unique and radically different. It takes the most extreme aspects of both and fuses them into a new thing in a Hegelian dialectic, essentially. Can you expand on that? Like what is, what is something very extreme in socialism and what is something very extreme in capitalism that can both be found within Bitcoin. Sure. One of the, the extreme things sort of more on the fascist or the dictatorial side is the choices Satoshi made. The 10 minute block time, the 21 million units using the SEP 256 curve, you know, like all, all of these things that he chose, those were singular decisions that he made unilaterally. And there is no compromise around that whatsoever. And those are very fascist notions. But on the same way, he so radically respects individuals in such a way that he homogenizes everyone that is part of the Bitcoin network and says, look, everyone will be totally equal to everybody else. If the value of one Bitcoin goes up, all Bitcoins are totally equal. If the value of one Bitcoin goes down, same thing. The value of all of those Bitcoins are equal. And the extremes to say, look, like if you secure your Bitcoin with your private key correctly, no one can ever take that from you no matter what. Even if everybody, you know, and that is such an important feature because now we're no longer dealing with these two dichotomies fighting each other, but we're almost picking out and taking the best parts of both, recombining them in such a way to allow for ourselves to move forward with what I believe is actually the rhizome of a totally new form of the political. And actually, you guys are going to be publishing in next edition's print copy an article I have called, what do we end up calling it? But, but it's essentially about how Bitcoin is the most political thing that exists. And through it renewing this idea of the political, it overcomes party politics on a whole and creates sort of this new baseline for everybody. And that's not because Bitcoin actually is this radical political ideal. But it's because it's so apolitical in a world where everything has been politicized 
it presents itself as becoming the most political thing. Oh, I love that idea. That simply by abstaining, by standing apart, Bitcoin becomes the most political thing. Mm-hmm. I want to quickly, if I can interrupt, he, you can read Eric's article that he is referencing in the Orange Orange Party issue of Bitcoin Magazine, the print edition. You can get your subscription at the Bitcoin Magazine store using promo code BM Live to get ten percent off because we didn't show it earlier. So I figured I should do it now. Good show, Eric. While you were uh, your internet was glitching out, I I felt compelled and inspired to put on my wizard robe, which I'm wearing right now, and I'm going to put the hood up nice. because I'm you know. But in your article, uh, Messianic Bitcoin, I think a lot of your writing does this, but you your writing kind of conveys this level of excitement and optimism that I find, I got to take this thing down. I I look too ridiculous that I find (laughs) super compelling. And there's a specific quote that I wanted to read that, that I identify really strongly with because I also was going through a period where I felt like the, the world around me was kind of bereft of meaning. And it was really, really difficult for me to feel motivated and excited about progress and the things that I, that I, that I wanted to contribute to because I didn't see a way for that to be, to persist long-term. I didn't see any systems that would support these, these goals that I had and the things that I cared about until I found Bitcoin. And if not for Bitcoin these days, I would also be profoundly depressed. But in this article, you say, no longer will we, will we, will we tolerate living in a world of liars, sycophants, and sociopaths who seek to control everything through fear and terror, authority, and decree. No longer will we idly sit by and allow them to eat our wealth and reduce us to impoverished destitution for their selfish and greedy desires. No longer will we allow for the corrupt and deranged version of false democracy to allow for the theft of the world in exchange for broken political promises we all know to be lies. We now have something better, a way to resist and fight back, a messianic weapon of unequivocal value, which they can never take away, they can never destroy, and will outlast them all. For Bitcoin is not just about money, it is about a new way of life. And that really, as I said, resonates with me. So here's my question to you. What do you feel like the largest threat to that optimistic view is in today's age? Do you feel like there's anything that that we all need to be focusing on and thinking about and explicitly fighting against because it threatens that beautiful opportunity in front of us? Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, BitMEX. BitMEX is one of the biggest supporters of the Bitcoin space in the last decade, actively donating to developers and putting out some of the most cited research articles. What you might not know is that BitMEX recently launched a brand new spot exchange and mobile app that takes the experience of buying and holding to the next level. We know that, especially in uncertain market conditions, you need an exchange that is trustworthy and innovative. Sign up at bitmex.com today, check out the BitMEX blog for some great market insights, and stay tuned to our podcast for more from their team. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your digital assets. Collateralized loans are great for living expenses, buying a car, or even for when you just have to have that sweet Rolex. But what isn't so great is when you then lose the ability to trade your assets once your loan has been taken out. So just like you, Moon Mortgage believes you should be able to have your cake and eat it too. Moon Mortgage's Trade and Borrow is the world's first digital asset loan margin account. 
allowing you to instantly trade your Bitcoin while borrowing against your account, all with next to zero insolvency risk, no origination fees, nor any third-party risk, as Moon Mortgage will never lend out your digital assets. Welcome to the future of collateralized lending. Visit moonmortgage.io today to learn how you can trade, borrow, and then trade your digital assets some more. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our proof-of-workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Yeah, in my opinion, I actually think the greatest threat is the financialization of Bitcoin and trying to integrate it to play well with the state. I think it's a really dangerous idea. And I think essentially what we're watching going on with Ethereum is very similar to the dangers that I could see come to Bitcoin. And I'm specifically talking about how much ETH is on centralized exchanges and the way that they're going to launch ETH 2.0. I really struggle to see how they're actually going to implement this in a meaningful decentralized way that doesn't have various threads of censorship through it. In addition to, I don't see how it become, it doesn't just become regulated chain. Um, and that really because most of my philosophical work deals with a figure in history known as homo sacer. And that, that in Latin, it means the sacred man, but the, the word sacar, it, it it doesn't really hold its meaning in translation because it's not just sacred, but it could mean like a cursed as well. And essentially throughout human history, these are people that are legally decreed to that, that anybody can kill, but they can't be sacrificed. Because the idea is that they're actually outside of the purview of the law of the gods on a whole. And so people just have um, a right to be able to kill and rob them if they want to. And that's called legal. Wait, and we what? saw it's, yeah, it's what, happened what? all throughout human history. Wait, what's the term? Homo sacer. And there's a whole series wrote by a philosopher, Giorgio Ambigan, who was really kind of like my first philosophical love. Uh, and the first book that really hooked me was called The Sacrament of the Oath. Or, or is it Sacrament of the Oath? But essentially, he, he tries to parse out, like, what is it that actually empowers the oath to, like, have meaning at all? And he does this deep etymological dive that is out that, like, like, the oath and the sacrifice are these things that, like, mutually fuse into each other. And unless you can like put something at stake in your language directly, which for most people, 
lives directly that like the oath was meaningless and so essentially like if you broke your oath people could kill you and like that's just legitimately how things operated for a long time and so essentially the reason we trace this lineage is because legal the legal decrees that allow for somebody to be found guilty are found inside of the same operations and for me the greatest concern within this entire field is being able to protect people that normally couldn't be protected and so I have to ask questions like, what if we somehow had Bitcoin in the 1930s and we were able to give that to the Jewish people? Like, how would have that changed the outcome of World War II? And then just another really fucked up fact is that actually IBS, the International Bank of Settlements, it actually finds its origins from a bank that was originally made for reparations payments from World War I and Germany was supposed to feed payments into that. But when Hitler and the Nazis seized power, they actually used that bank to launder the gold that they extracted from the teeth of Jews that they killed in the Holocaust into this bank. And so at the end of World War II, when the Allies were at Brenton Woods and they started negotiating around what to do with this bank, the Norwegian contingency refused to actually even sit down at the table until there was the promise from FDR that this bank would be totally liquidated. So they get that promise, sit down, Brenton Woods comes out, Truman dies, uh, or FDR dies, Truman comes to power. He says, you know what, actually, this is a really great bank. We, oh should, we should use it for something. We Fuck. should use it for like international settlements. And lo and behold, the Bank of International Settlements is a literal Nazi bank that got its seed funding from the Holocaust. Like you can't make this shit up. It's so fucking bananas. Jesus and to Christ. me, like, that's part of the whole story of humanity that's going on right now, in my opinion, is that when you really look at what's occurring in the world, not only are these ironies so dramatic, but to me, in the, the concourse of human history, like, these are almost the things that have to happen, because we have to look at this and go, oh, my God, what's going on is so horrific, and so dark, and so nihilistic, that I think... For many of us who look out in the world before Bitcoin have that depressed view, we have to have this radical break to say, no, no, like, fuck this place. Fuck this society. Fuck all of this absolute bullshit nonsense you want me to participate in. You want me to shut up and sit down and do whatever I'm told, including sitting aside while, you know, one of my favorite ones is, is not favorite, but in terms of one of the things that highlights most is I just have no interest in military spending. I have traveled all around the world and met people from all walks of life, different cultures, different religions, and everyone that I have met has been a beautiful, accommodating, loving person. And so when I'm told that there are those people over there that are bad, that we need to kill, fuck you. I have absolutely no interest whatsoever in arming you or helping you go kill people. If you think someone is so much of a threat that you want to go drop bombs on them, well, go get a gun and go fight them yourselves, you fucking coward. Because I'm so angry at this point in time that my money is used to kill children around the world. And I actively know that that happens and that we conduct ourselves inside of these tertiary genocides that don't get discussed, like what's going on in Yemen or other places. And with Bitcoin, I finally have a way to actually object in a deep and meaningful way. Not only can I just say no, but I can say no, you any of my wealth. No, I'm not going to participate in this system of abuse and exploitation anymore. And even if that means you're going to destroy me, you can't have my money.
And I think when we all become courageous enough, or not even all of us, even a small sliver of us become courageous enough to stand up against that, I think we find the renewed hope of what it means to be humans in the world, and specifically one that has all of this advanced technology that's so important to ensuring that we remain free into the 21st and 22nd century, which I, I, even with where Bitcoin's at right now, I have very serious doubts if we'll be able to escape the cage that's been built around us. I'm going to, I want to go down a couple of different rabbit holes with you, Eric. You, you, you said the magic words for me to go down this, but like my family is from Iran originally. I have a majority of my family lives in Iran. I've seen the way me, my parents were spoken to before 9-11 and after 9-11. I genuinely have a class of friends that were my friends before 9-11 happened and then I literally never saw them or their parents ever again. My question to you is, like, I, I love this idea and I always talk about how if we lived in a country that was purely based on the Bitcoin standard, we pay, fine, everything stays the same about the US with the exception of our currency is now Bitcoin. Things like where do our tax dollars actually go to? How is the money the government getting is spending getting allocated and then distributed further from there will actually become more public? And as a result, the politicians will have to be held accountable both for the things they say and the things they do, which right now just doesn't exist. I, so I'm torn because what I presented to you is as simple as literally just change USD to Bitcoin and you have accountability, but like life is not that easy and simple. So what am I missing in this situation that I just prescribed to further enhance the accountability on our political leaders and the powers that be in this country first? Well, in all honesty, it, it starts with the question of what is money, you know, and, and it's always phenomenal to me to try to start this conversation with people and see how far off basis they are because pretty much nobody understands what money is or how it functions or why it does that and once you and i think most of us know as you start to pull that thread and you start to really understand what is money you realize how completely crazy it is that they can just willy-nilly make it up and give it to themselves to go spend on whatever and they go oh yeah you know like ne next election cycle will be accountable so i think the you know by and far, education is the most important thing. And specifically, not just education about giving people facts, but pedagogical education, you know, of giving people the actual tools to try to understand these things themselves and to think for themselves. Emmanuel Kant, he has a great essay from 1792 called What is the Enlightenment? And it's this phenomenal essay that's pretty much just about how all that the Enlightenment is, is he says that it gets summed up in the motto of saper uh, adieu, which means dare to think. And all that the Enlightenment was about was thinking for yourself and having the courage to say what you believe to be true. And the ancient Greeks had a word for this too called parasoa. And parasoa was the idea to speak courageously and risk yourself by speaking in that courage. And I think many of us early Bitcoiners are already on a path towards doing this because what's going on in the world is insane and it's wrong. It's immorally wrong, it's ethically wrong, it's socially wrong, and it, it, it's even mathematically wrong. They literally have broken accounting at the bottom of all fiat money. That's how it works. That's the only way it works. And that's, that's literally what fiat means. It means by decree. 
And so by decree, they have made things, paper, that has no inherent value, have value. Does that mean it's actually valuable? No, but because we're so deep into this world of statism and authoritarianism, when we are told authority, not truth, creates legitimacy, we believe that. And the truth is, is that truth, not authority, is the purveyor of legitimacy more than anything else. So I think step one is just this educational movement. But then if we were actually to enter into a world where Bitcoin was the monetary standard in the United States, like I think things would radically change almost overnight. And mostly because as you're saying, we have this really, really public money. And this is one of the reasons why I critique privacy chains is because I, I want this to be a money that becomes what's utilized by organizations around the world. And we need the transparency to say, okay, you know, I paid a Bitcoin in taxes. I can watch the UTX sets go wherever they're going. Hey, there, there's like a bunch of money that went over here. Like, what's this thing? There's like an awful lot of money trolling around. Oh, it turns out there's a secret military project that, you know, we can now trace the, the lineage and origin. And so next time they ask us to pay tax, I go, well, fuck you. you. You broke your promise on how you were going to actually utilize my money. So I'm not going to pay. And I think that this is going to be part of what this sort of politics of the future is going to get produced is the Internet is like such an insane and radical tool that we're all absolutely underappreciating how radical of a tool it is. And that like it's going to be here forever. It's going to be here for the next you know, several millennia if humanity survives. And so in being thoughtful in how we're going to use that in order to create a new form of politics that overcomes, you know, what our three to 500 year old system that we have going on right now is going to be really incredible. And I think with these new fluid and changing and frankly, unknown forms of politics that we're going to discover, it's going to radically alter the way that not only is politics done, but the responsibility that people have and how money is spent. And ultimately, it's going to make war a much more difficult process. And also on a final note on that thought, I just want to say I'm, I'm really sorry that you had friends that were bigoted and racist enough that they would cut you out of their life after a bunch of shitbags decided to do a, a, a terrorist attack. And then specifically, like, you know, not not even tangentially related to you. No, I mean, I'll I'll. I, to be honest, like my parents gave me a very sheltered and protective lifestyle and I didn't realize this. I, I will just say this. If you've never seen the show Rami on Hulu, there's an episode, I believe it's episode four or five in season one. It's called Strawberry Something. And it's it's his version of the day of 9-11 and what happened. And I remember watching that and I literally was like, whoa, that that felt real, real to me. And I called my dad and I was like, whatever happened to this one family that we were like tight with? Like I would, this was my best friend in the second and third grade. And then just like, we never spoke to them. We never hung out. And he's like, oh, we, we just, you know, drifted apart, went different ways. I'm like, did they say something to you after 9-11? And I was like, he genuinely was like, who told you? And so I actually didn't even feel it in that moment and my, my parents just shielded me from that. So I don't want to act as though like I really lived through it in that way. I mean, mind you, my nickname from the sixth grade until quite literally 2020 was terrorist in a lot of my friends' phones. So, oh, whole other story. That is fucked up. Whole other That's story. Super fucked up, man. But, but. It's, 
for me, it, it's all rooted in this accountability. And, and you bring up a great point where this made up money has given governments. Now I want to expand this because it's not just the United States of America. It's every foreign government that can do this to where if they feel inclined, they can just print as a, however much money they want or need to accomplish things like wars, to accomplish at aggressive attacks against other countries, to just buy fucking real estate in a foreign country. Like all of these things are within the scope of ability of governments now. I just wonder, in your opinion, and I hate the speculative questions myself, but I'm I'm curious what you think of. <laughs> but here we are asking them. That, that's all I that I make a career hedging the fact that no one likes to be asked these questions, but I'm going to just ask them anyways. How do we unwind? Like what is realistic? What is going to, in your opinion, be that breaking point for countries to have to exit the fiat off-ramp? Is something like what we see in El Salvador going to be a case study on how it's going to be recreated? Or is it going to be what we're bearing witness to in Japan and Europe as we speak for them to either have to be forced into the dollar or potentially take a different exit ramp. Just to expand on, you know, what you're talking about, the statement and take what you want or make it more difficult for regulations. I like, I want to move several steps farther that like with you being known as terrorists, it's pretty easy to go, well, he's clearly an, an enemy of the state. He, he's a brownie. He, you know, want, he clearly supports those people. He might even be one of those evil Muslims, like fucking kill him, kill him and take his shit. And that, like, that seems like a ludicrous idea. I want to be clear, like, that was done all throughout fucking human history. Literally, the state goes, hey, these brown people we don't fucking like, let's take all their shit and kill them. And that's how it played out. Again and again, the Armenian genocide, the Hiroshima genocide, you know, the, it goes on and on and on. In addition to, like, then you look at stuff like the Cultural Revolution in China, where it's like, small differences of opinion on the same side like they just lose their fucking minds and not only kill each other but they like eat each other because they're so vengeful about it there's like there's like thousands of cases of cannibalism that happened during that. and so Queen. like yeah during the cultural revolution there's cases of Jesus. cannibalism because like they literally took the statement eat the capitalists directly yeah like that it's is super wild fun. and like that's one of the things i get from history is just how ludicrous things got many times is that like when we talk about things happening going no that's just too far-fetched i guarantee there's like a dozen references that we have yeah. throughout human history like that could never happen now like we're a, a modern people we are raised above yeah and meanwhile like we're like actively like watching the uyghur genocide which yeah. as i've pointed out before it's like like this is like the apex of genocide because like it's not even just about like taking killing like taking all their shit and killing them it's about like taking all their shit, hollowing them out as a culture and a people mentally, and then like putting them back out in the world being like, remember, we're monitoring everything that you do and we can torture and kill you at any point in time. So you better shut the fuck up and do the exact thing that we want or else. And like, those are people that we've made the decision that like, we're going to have a deep economic interdependence with because, you know, we like consumer shit. Like how betraying to the ideals of what America is supposed to represent and to back. And the fact that we allowed for Nixon to so thoroughly fuck everything in this country. And then we just kept walking forward. And so the way that I think that we detransition from fiat 
is I actually think a deeply political movement. And I actually think like that's the only way it's going to catch fire is when we start to realize that it's not the Democrats or the Republicans that are going to solve this or even some brand new third party. But it's going to be about us radically organizing on our own independently and making a choice to exist outside and beyond the state through not just peer to peer exchanges, but collectives, networks. And a lot of this matches up with the idea of anarcho syndicalism. Because at the bottom, I think Bitcoin really is a purest form of anarchism that we've had. And some of the best methods that we've seen anarchists organize is through syndicalist methods, which was essentially the way that anarchists organized themselves in revolutionary Spain during the Civil War. What does that mean, the term syndicalist methods? Syndicalist, it, it essentially means that people collectivize themselves on really any scale that they want. So like, we all need water. We form a water collective. Like we all need wood. Got we it. form like a wood collective. You know, like we. And what would, what would the other end of that spectrum be? If you have that on one end, and then is there like another end of that spectrum, or the opposite of that? Like the opposite of syndicalism. Yeah. I would. I think it would just be centralized fascism. You know, yeah. where essentially you have a centrally controlled economy that is dictated everywhere. Whereas the idea of syndicalism is there's all loosely formed decentralized networks that then use mutual aids in various situations. I highly recommend reading Rudolf Rocker's essays on anarchism because he goes into deep detail about this. He was given the assignment by Emma Goldman when he returned from Europe and she was like, you need to write about anarcho-syndicalism. Right on, I'll get that shit done. And so like, I actually think we're really entering in, this is, in my opinion, this is sort of like the end of the first chapter of what Bitcoin is. Cause like now it's becoming clear what it is. Now people who essentially are hearing the call are hearing it and answering it. People are piling in. And my story of coming back from depression is, is just one of, at this point, I've heard dozens, if not hundreds. And I've had all kinds of insane DMs from people just saying, hey, like I had similar experiences. I felt crushed. I felt sad. I didn't know what to do. And then I found Bitcoin and it gave me all of this new hope. And it wasn't because I could like make Gonzo money and get out, but it was because I finally felt like I had something that was really mine that nobody could take from me. And again, I want to emphasize how fucking crazy it is that we live in a day and age of advanced global technological, you know, magic. And the idea of simply owning something that can't be stolen from you is like the most radical idea that existed. And so to me, like at the very bottom, this is why I ultimately believe Bitcoin is messianic because it doesn't have anything to do with money, but it has to do with You lost him again. Eric, come back to us. Hmm. We can actually blame Elon Musk for this one because it's my Starlink that's coming in. No, I mean, to, to be honest, I, I'm surprised that this conversation is getting any views right now, given how many of the comments I'm seeing get posted right here on Restream that aren't actually coming up on YouTube. So, Wait, seriously? They're censoring us again? Oh, 100%. Andrew, really? no, Andrew Novak wrote a comment. <laughs> Andrew Novak wrote, Saddam was going to take euros for oil and then 9-11, which is a story we've talked about a lot on this show. I will never... I will never stop bringing that up. And then shortly after that, Global Nonsense wrote, Adrenochrome is the money of the elite. Neither of these comments are found in our chat. Wait, did he say Adrenochrome? Adrenochrome? Yeah. yeah. Got it. All right. That's the so, You're in Las Saddam, Vegas. Saddam and Adrenochrome are clearly <laughs> trigger words for you. The second one is funny, off. but yeah, YouTube is brutal these days. We have, it's, so we have like, uh, you know, all the, the comments that are going through this 
through various platforms piped in so that we the 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 hosts and the guests can see them live and it's very interesting to see which comments youtube censors immediately and silently like you can't you wouldn't even know unless we also separately had this other chat which is connected to the youtube youtube api it's dark shit oh it is and i mean like that's for me that's the other reason bitcoin's so important is that i actually think of the back end of this like big like Bitcoin as money, I actually think vanishes. And I actually think we get Bitcoin as like the backbone of the internet. And we'll essentially use lightning channels to exchange data and make everything completely non-censorable. There'll be like, we're in the belly of the beast right now. Like, like we are very deep. It's very clear that the financial system is having seizures and is in the throes of figuring out just how exactly it's going to die. Uh, our politicians, fucking gas like that absolute shit out of us i mean the fact that like the thing that amazes me is like joe biden gave that speech and before he did it there was like a group of people who surrounded him who were like yeah like the, the aesthetics for this are, are really good and it communicates all of the stuff that we holy we really fucking want shit what happened who made that call dude seriously I, someone someone better have gotten fired i don't think so no oh like, no they get they got promoted or exactly like, now they're like speechwriter and again looking at history like we need to remember that like this is how things escalate and furthermore like anyone who's involved with government at this point in time like they're obviously a shithead that isn't considering or thinking about the general world state of the world and how politics is right now because as we've watched all this collapse in my opinion anybody who wants to go get involved with the government and think that they can change anything is really not thinking this through and if they are i think the alternative is actually much more scary is that they're actually evil and like i don't want to i don't want to throw this term around lightly but when i say evil like they're literally incapable of having the thought that what they are doing is wrong like there's always some excuse there's always some reason there's the like whatever you say to them about why they're participating in it there will always be a good reason from their stance and so my opinion that's why it's actually evil is because they're there is no way to have a meaningful discussion where they come to the moral imperative that's presented to them. There will always be an excuse for them. And to me, like, I think this is the world we're going to go into for quite a while. And I actually think at the apex, it is going to essentially be just as we saw all throughout the wars of the 20th century, not some other state coming in and blowing us up, but our own government turning to us and going, yo, there's some shortages. So that cabbage you got, Give it to me or that. So how do we inspire people to, first of all, I agree. No one is the villain in their own story. No one looks in the mirror and is like, I am an evil person and I'm taking this because I want it. Everybody has a, has a narrative around why it's okay. But how do we inspire people to, not those people, but everyone else to acknowledge the situation that they are, that they find themselves trapped in. How do we, how do we grab people by the, you know, the, the, the collar and shake them awake? Speak truth to power. You know, like I'm like, I'm just some crazy motherfucker, you know, like I, I, I got lucky enough that not only did I get on this ride early, but that I have been speaking to these things because I really care about them. And it's been incredible to me watching people applaud me and, you know, invite me on shows like this and tell me to say more, to write books. And it's because when people hear that truth that they need so bad, it not only is refreshing, but it's inspiring. You know, like I always, I always think it's interesting when I meet like 
like very typical normie people because like I'm so kind of off the periphery on my own thing. And when I'll say what my own truths and visions are, these people are usually really taken aback, you know, and, and I've noticed in some people it really sparks something in them. And the, the most fascinating is, is when it's like totally unexpected people that I never thought I it would like rile something up in them. A great example is like my veterinarian. She's just an older, very liberal woman who, you know, very heartfelt, warm and caring. And like, you know, I gave her some some orange pill stuff and I was like, you know, be well. And then the next time I encountered her, she was like, wow, like Bitcoin, like this is super interesting. She was like, I'd never imagined that something like this would exist. And just watching that sort of light up her world and the way it changes her is what I'm convinced is the most important thing, you know? And the very same way that like the most important thing that people could do after the death of Jesus wasn't to, you know, just it, it wasn't to try to figure out how exactly they're going to make Christianity take over the world. It was to speak to all the people who that Christianity spoke the deepest to. And, uh, you know, and that's who I'm speaking to is like, I'm, I'm not interested in converting normies and getting this huge consensus and majority to come on board. I think that'll happen in due time. I'm super interested in the 2% of people that are going to get fired up, that are actually going to buy Bitcoin, that are actually going to self-host themselves, are going to do their best to understand the technological details and to really talk to people about it. Because those are my people. And my job specifically is to talk to them and say, you are onto something very, very important and you need to keep driving and pushing. Don't regard this as some technological development. Don't regard it as a normal company or a way to make money. Realize that you exist in such a unique and important time and that you get to be part of giving this gift to humanity and ensuring that it blooms as it is supposed to. Because on that same note, the other danger is like Bitcoin can fail. And it can fail if we're not all doing our best to ensure that it, it's going to be successful, it's going to be understood, and that its mission is operating as expected to. You know, and that was one of the dangers that we saw come up, you know, during the block size wars. And I feel very confident we're going to see it again moving into the future, particularly when we see the state regulatory attacks come on board. Yeah. And it's going to be all of our responsibility to make sure that not only do we help and protect one another, as we saw, you know, God damn it warmed my heart to see how people really came out for holding on. You know, here, here's an individual who put themselves out front and center and said they're the fraudulent piece of shit saying that he is the founder of Bitcoin and it is not true. And that fraudulent piece of shit came after him. And he not only did he put himself front and center and, and take those bullets, but Bitcoiners rallied around him and said, hey, we want you to know an attack on one is an attack against all. And we got your back. And we showed that to him. You know, and as somebody just said in the chat, well, we are all holding on. And I think that that's really important that people know because, and as I've seen here too, if you throw yourself into this, you will find other people who want to work together, that want to talk about the same things, that want to go deep and help each other. And I promise you that it will be much more spectacular than you could ever imagine. Because like I, I, I never even expected to get a tenth of the way that I am. And so now that I'm talking to the people that I'm talking to, I'm working and doing the things that I'm doing. I feel such a light inside of me that I never even knew existed before. Like, I honestly just thought I was going to work a meager middle-class job for most of my life, watch some sports ball, and that would kind of be it. And now I feel like I 
get to participate in the most important movement in humanity. And I, I very sincerely believe that. And even when come to challenge, I actually think I can defend it adequately. But that's a very long philosophical diatribe. Hmm. I want to, Eric, if I may, there's something you kind of alluded to at the very beginning of our conversation. I think you you alluded to it a little bit throughout as well. But that is, and, I, and I'm not trying to frame it as this will happen, but there is a possibility of the outright failure of Bitcoin. And I've had conversations with the likes of Svetsky, D++, John Vallis, and hearing the ideas of what actually would be the cause of Bitcoin's failure. Would it be a state attack that prevents it from really reaching its full potential? And what does that actually mean for the future of humanity and society? I'm not trying to play the doom and gloom speculative stuff, but... I, I, but let's fucking doom and gloom. But let's doom and gloom for a second here. I'm curious, where where are you most afraid of an attack on Bitcoin that could be a successful attack on Bitcoin? Tell us your darkest uh, fears, Eric. Meat space. We all got these fleshy bodies that can, you know, if you put a blowtorch to it, it's not going to work out very well. And we're probably going to be pretty pliable after that. And I actually have an essay called The Theory of the Partisan, which is based off of Carl Schmitt's book by the same title, Theory of the Partisan. But mine's called Theory of the Digital Partisan. And I actually think like as things escalate, the state is going to attack the, these shitty meat suits that we have. And thankfully, through the digital news sphere, we're actually going to get all of these nons that are going to pop up and produce themselves and give us the answers that we need. You know, similar to how Shaolin Freilich kind of popped up out of nowhere during the block size wars and was like, hey, check it out. Like, I got, I got the solution here. And I think the same thing will happen in the future is maybe... We get regulatory tax. Maybe the state puts clamps on developers. There's any number of ways. But I think as these social attacks play out, like we will find that Anons will rise up from the internet to essentially be the foot soldiers for the future that we need. And and, and it's no wonder that it's that way. Because, you know, part of the thesis of what's operating is that because we live in this global digital panopticon at this point, we can actually locate anybody and put the clamps on them if they need to. And so, like, we literally need digital pseudo-anonymous people to rise up to save us because they're the only people that are capable of doing it. And I think that's also going to be how the internet comes to present the fullness of its power is because Anons will rise up and provide novel new forms of technologies, new bits, different ways for Bitcoin to develop where what they're doing speaks for itself and itself alone. It's not about their title. It's not about whatever person they might be, it simply has to do with what information they provide. And that's very, very important. And I think that goes all the way back to what Satoshi did. You know, Satoshi Nakamoto only matters because of the art that he produced into the world and the way that we got to experience that art. And he could only present that art insofar that he is Satoshi Nakamoto, not some man of flesh and blood that we can find and rip his fingers off, but because he is an anonymous no one who doesn't exist in our world in any meaningful way. And just to be clear, even if we did find the person or group or whoever, Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever controls his handle, that's not Satoshi Nakamoto. That's somebody else. And my, my background is my shitty laundry. Just so you know. <laughs> oh, we, we've known this whole time. We, no, we I didn't love it. Wanna... It, it makes me so happy. 
I, I keep wanting to ask you, like, yo, what model of vacuum is that? Because that, that vacuum looks my it, it, it's like some German model that my, my wife, she was really thrilled when we got it. So, you know, I'm not gonna say happy buy life, life, really life. nice, you know, and, and like they're like happier to vacuum and stuff. Just saying you might might want to think about that. But yes, I, I do need a better background and my apology for airing out my dirty laundry. No, I truly I love it. Ah, that's funny. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, it's the best. Funny. Uh the realness is awesome. I want to ask you something. Within the frame of, of everything we've been talking about, what is the thing that the average person can do? Like, what would you challenge the average person, the pleb, to do to broaden their minds and expand their horizons? Whether it's like read this particular person or whatever the advice is, what do you think is the most effective thing that people can do? I mean, in all honesty, there's going to be deep subjectivity based upon who the person is and how they exist in the world. You know, I think one of the biggest ones is just really follow the questions that you have in a meaningful way. Look to history and look to people that wrote about them. And then for those of you that, you know, really want to break out of the box, I'm a big fan of psychedelics. Like I, I think it provides a radical altering yeah. in worldview in a really powerful and meaningful way. And not just because like they're fun to get all wacky and stuff, but I, I very much believe that it allows for your mind to make new and different connections that could never be understood before. And then also, if you want to actually go even deeper, I think the possibility of experience where you can have an ego death is really, really profound. Because in my opinion, like you, you actually get to directly touch and experience the nothing that is everything. And those kind of dumb statements make sense when you've really experienced that. And with that being said, I also want to emphasize like the... I hate the pejorative of calling them drugs because they're they're very, very safe substances. There's very little known, there's no known deaths. There are possibilities of some minor things happening, but for the most part, they're, they're really safe. And I, it makes me really sad that so many people have pejoratively labeled, labeled them as drugs and put them in the same category as heroin. Because for me personally, it really helped me, me deal with some of my own problems that I had with drinking too much. And it also really opened me up to the idea of spirituality. I was like a pretty staunch atheist before I started experimenting with psychedelics. And it really opened me up to the possibility that there is something to this world that I don't see or understand that I think is really important. So those would be kind of my two main recommendations. And yeah, I think a lot of it is, is just really being serious about asking questions of ourselves, you know? And I think that the action of being serious about it alone is really important and that's something i get from heidegger because he's really big about you know asking the question of being like what does it mean to be in our world what does it mean for me to be eric Kaysen living in my home in you know the year 2022 with the state of the world as it is and i think the deep contemplation of those things can really flesh itself out in such a way that we can meet new and greater understandings not only of ourselves but of the world hmm. i love love that eric i hope that you and i get to meet in person because i, I fucking love pot and shrooms literally the two greatest <laughs> things in the world they don't come from the fucking earth and i feel no like reason. i feel like that like cheapened everything you just said like yo no. i love getting fucked up let's go no, no, but, but like to be honest like there, there's so much validity in what he said about Oh, I connect, agree, yeah. Connecting the dots and the ego death. And like I'm I'm very vocal. There is a pre-trip cue 
And then my first psychedelic trip was winter break of my senior year of college. And I don't dox yourself, bro. I'm a completely different human being, but I digress. Both shrooms and pot come from earth. Nothing from earth should be illegal. Just my two sats on that. Eric, of the trio that makes up Bitcoin Magazine Live, these two ugly faces up here, as well as our the brains behind the operation, Chris, back there, one of us three is about to embark on a new life journey. Much like you, they're about to get married. I won't dox who, but what advice do you have for our esteemed colleague who's going to get married? Other than um, buying your life a really nice vacuum. Well, first of all, con- congratulations. I assume if you're marrying her, she like knows all of the crazy stuff that you believe about Bitcoin and other things. And I would say really enjoy it and honor your partner and know that it's, uh, it is a difficult and tumultuous journey, but through your commitments to one another and the willingness to be in dialogue, you can really get through anything, you know? And yeah, and I'd say allow for that love and cherishment to, to blossom out of yourself and allow for it to, to humble yourself and to commit yourself to now you're no longer just you, but you're a unit that will hopefully grow into a larger unit so that at one point in time you will be you know the father of your children and the head of your household and that you will lead your family in such a way and for me one of the things that really gives to me is you know i'm, I'm married and i have two kids is that i i have to participate in fixing money for my children because i i can't give them this world in those state it's in and be able to face them as adults in the future like i have to be able to have a good explanation for what I was doing to try to make the world a better place now. So that when they are adults, even if I lose, they can be like, well, like dad fucked up, but like he was on the right path. Yeah. For the most part, I just need to know that I am meaningfully trying to change the future. And to me, Bitcoin is the single most important way to do that. Well said. Eric, how can our audience stay up to date with your incredible writing, your incredible thoughts, putting you on the spot and just saying because of Gavin Newsom's hatred towards us and preventing you from joining us earlier, you got to come back. You've just got yes, to come back. I'm so sorry. When the power went out, I was just like, mother F. So when my contractor came out, let me know the power was back on. I was literally struggling with pulling a giant generator out of the back of my truck to try to get it hooked up to, to, <laughs> no to try to make this happen. So, but yes, my apologies for, for my tardiness. We'll blame Gavin Newsom for the time being. And hopefully when we schedule this again, I will just have no power or my own backup generation to be able to do that. Um, just turned out my own light. It wasn't the power going out this time, thankfully. But yeah, you can find my writings at CryptoSovereignty.org. I'm working with you guys at Bitcoin Magazine to get all of my articles and essays into a compilation and a book that I will be releasing. And because of all the inspiration and wonderful things that I've been shared and had people reach out to me and say, hey, keep going. I'm actually working on kind of my second book, which in my opinion really is dealing with the deeper metaphysical issues at hand because to me this all runs headlong into the metaphysics of philosophy itself and i feel like i've spent the last decade trying to figure that out and it's really came together for me in the last six months so i'm really excited about getting that out too fantastic i like to imagine that uh, you know as we've been talking about your power going out because of uh, gavin newsom in reality it's like you've got some like nikola tesla 
like mind body wireless power transmission system just outside of the window and you're like yes gavin newsom meanwhile there's like crazy electric fields like crackling and you're exploring the the higher realms of consciousness so why are you talking lives to me, in bro? my mind I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> that. This was a pleasure, man. I really appreciate you for coming on. And yeah, thanks for giving us some insight into how you think and why you Bitcoin. Thank you both very much and continue your guys' excellent work as well. You guys have the bullhorn and are getting to the most plebs. So I appreciate your guys' work as well. We do our best. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference, which includes hands-on engagements at our proof-of-workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.